Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, Pac-12 Network's Nick Aliotti. Nick, how's it going? Fantastic, Miss Stacy. How are you and Bump doing today? <laughs> We're fantastic. Yeah. We're talking a lot about Chip Kelly, but obviously could use some of your insight. You guys coached together at Oregon from 2007 to 12. Um, I'm going to start with Chip the person. What can you tell us about about you guys and your relationship? Well, I, I think Chip's a fun guy to be around. Now, he's not the most social guy, but you don't have to be, I guess, in the NFL because you don't have to worry about alumni and all those things. But uh, I've always enjoyed Chip. He's a fun guy to be around. Uh, very good coach, good person, gets it, understands young men or men now if it was the NFL. And uh, got nothing but positives about my man Chip. There we go. Coach one, let me say what up, man. I miss you, man. I hope everything's good. The wife is good. Grandkids are, are, are good as well, man. Back at you, Bump. It's been a good run and a good time. Uh, the feelings are mutual. We're all doing good. Appreciate you. Um, you know, I remember you talking about Chip Kelly. Uh, whenever we uh, we did a game together and um, say UCLA was, uh, was out there, we're doing the sidelines, you and Chip always had good conversations. But I remember you telling me a story that um, he made you a better defensive coordinator with how Oregon used to practice. And you mentioned just the tempo. And Stacy asked me a question the other day, and she asked if the NFL resembles college football now more than ever. And I said yes. And, and, uh, and I feel Chip had a lot to do with that. Uh, but just talk about Chip and, and how he is at practice and what it, what it was about his offenses that, um, that made it challenging on the defense. You know, Chip is very, very innovative. He's a smart guy, and he stays with the time. So if he so gets that job in the NFL, uh, he'll know what he has to do to tweak to, to make it be NFL ready. But the thing about Chip, when we were at Oregon, and, you know, a lot of people do tempo. But, but I, I cannot even explain to you how fast we went because we would barely be getting back to the line of scrimmage and the next play would be snapped. And we did that over and over and over to where our tempo, and I really mean this, I don't think there was any, any faster tempo offense than what we did at Oregon. So when we faced tempo, it became very easy. Uh, they never could go fast enough, and that's what made us better. Plus, it also, what it did, Bump and Stacy, is it made me learn that we had to play like a hockey team. Uh, I take a lot of pride that we were probably one of the first teams that would substitute maybe two D linemen and a linebacker after every three plays, and then a secondary guy and another linebacker after three plays because the whole thing was to be able to play fast and play with tempo. And so what it did is made us have a stronger two deep because usually you remember this bump people would, your first team would take most of the reps, second team get a few reps, a couple thirds, very little, but with tempo, we were getting our first and second team because of the way we were, we were 
substituting, as I mentioned in the hockey deal, where we were getting 22 to 24 guys ready to play a game, and therefore you never felt like the second stringer. It's really interesting. I didn't think of it as that like hockey line analogy. Um, I was actually asked a question earlier by someone else. I'm going to throw your way, Coach. Uh, is there a, a type of quarterback that you've always felt uh, Chip Kelly's offense kind of works well with, or can he kind of work with anyone? You know, I think he, he can work with anyone, but in today's game, I, I bet, you know, everybody's looking for the guy that is mobile back there right. that, let's face it, Stacey, the quarterback needs to be a good pocket passer and a thrower first. They have to be, or else you become very limited. But if you have a guy that's dynamic and can move around and make plays with his feet when things break down, then you got the best of both worlds. And, uh, you know, there we have uh, Patrick Mahomes and guys of that, that nature. So I think Chip can work with anybody. I think Chip is a very, very intelligent offensive football coach and can pretty much implement what he has, whatever he's given, whatever personnel he's given, he'll figure out a way to utilize them to the best of their ability. Coach, um, how has the, the, the college game and NFL game changed over the past decade or so, and, and how do they resemble each other more now than, uh, than ever before? Well, the spread. The spread offense, everybody has a version of the spread now at some point in their, in their game, and, and the quarterback runs that, that some people use more than others. Those things were never a part of the NFL, but I think tempo, I have to be honest with you, I don't think there's the tempo that we, that we once saw. And even in the NFL, I think it's very hard, guys, to do tempo and practice tempo. You can do it for a little bit, but to practice in the NFL because of your limited roster and the limited amount of guys, I think you would wear them out uh, if you tried to practice that too much in temp during practice. It would just tire guys out throughout the week. So you can do it a little bit, but tempo is, is not there anymore. But the spread and quarterback runs are certainly a big part of the NFL now, which was a part of just the college game 10 years ago. Is there something that you don't see as much that you kind of miss about either uh, the pros or the college game? Absolutely, Stacey. I think, I think if I was running an offense today, the 49ers, are a prime example. They have 21 personnel, but they're not going to be in 21 personnel sets, meaning two mm-hmm. backs for your listeners. Two backs and a tight end would be 21, and one back and one tight end would be 11, just to give an example. The 49ers use 21 personnel. A lot of people don't play with the fullback anymore. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't play with two and three tight ends anymore. And then be able to bust out of those formations like the 49ers do with 21 personnel and give you 11 and 10 and 12 personnel looks. So uh, I think the best of both worlds that you don't see enough now is a fullback in the, in the backfield, quarterback under center a lot, and being able to run all the sets that you could run with 21 personnel. Coach, I love that you pointed that out. And while while you're describing 21 and, and how the 49ers do it, it, it got me thinking, what does that mean 
to the about what does it mean for the evolution of the football player? Because now we're starting to see running backs do things that we weren't used to seeing. We're seeing tight ends do things that we're, we're not used to seeing. Um, has that been uh, part of the reason why we're, we're seeing uh, the, these personnel groups, but not really the, that type of personnel sets? Yeah, people uh, people are starting to go for those hybrid athletes. Same thing, uh, Bump and Stacy, like in basketball. You know, before you used to have a guard, a guard, forward, forward, a center. Now they got numbers, and you want guys. The Warriors were a prime example back five, six years ago where they were interchangeable to where you could play any of those positions. That's the same thing that's happening in football now. I think your best teams are teams that, are doing what the 49ers are doing. I use them as an example because they're going to be the Super Bowl. They got Usek at fullback, but he could be a tight end, he could be a receiver, and then he could be in the backfield. So what that makes you do as a defensive coordinator, you have to now call the game by down and distance and hope that you can match up to the 49ers' spread sets when they get in those, but at the same time have a – primary defense that will stop the two back runs and the double tight sets. So it's really, really uh, challenging for a defensive coordinator now, in my opinion, when you can do all those things out of 21 sets, 21 personnel. I was just about to ask, like from the, from um, the point of view of like Steve Spagnuolo or whatever, obviously, you know, the defensive side of things. Like if, if you were looking at, uh, you know, playing an offense that would make things a nightmare, like, what's the perfect offense? Like, what makes the 49ers so unbeatable? I know it's going to feel a little repetitive, but I, I find it really interesting. No, I think what I said earlier, plus two, if you watch the 49ers, they're going to shift and motion almost every play. I would say 90% of their plays, they're going to shift in motion so that they get a pre-snap look to see, hey, are they in man? How are they moving? How are they deploying their defense? And and now, you know, a lot of coordinators want to go into their nickel package. Oh, you got three wide receivers. We got to have nickel to match up because matchups are so important in the NFL, probably more so in college because you don't have a, a guy in every position in college unless you're in Alabama or somebody like that that is that gives you those kind of nightmare matchup problems. The NFL matchups are so important that now you want to call something on first and 10 to stop a 21 personnel run play or two back set or double tight. And all of a sudden they're in a 10 personnel or 11 personnel look. So you got somebody playing out of position that really is not a great matchup to cover those guys. Last one I got for you, Coach. Um, why? Hopefully that all makes sense in this radio talk. Yes, it, yeah, and it's a, fascinating. I need, I, a, <laughs> I need a chalkboard. I like talking <laughs> ball. I can go on for forever and ever. I like ball. <laughs> all right, go ahead, Bub. Last, last one I got for you. Um, why do you think um, Chip Kelly would be a good fit in the NFL, but specifically with this Seahawks team um, with Geno and obviously Zach Charbonnet's got over there, the weapons that – that um, the Seahawks have over here? Well, I know they have some good receivers. I have to apologize. I don't follow personnel in the NFL as much as I should. When I watch a game, I do get a better feel for it. But Geno Smith are the quarterbacks, correct? Mm-hmm. 
I yeah. think that, uh, you know, he he might use Geno Smith with some run package and then throwing it, and then Drew Locke throwing it. I can't answer those questions exactly because uh, that would be Chip the mad professor that would have to figure that out. <laughs> but I I know this. I don't know if he's close to getting the job or what's happening there. You guys are really know better than I am. But I will say this. 100%, I would stamp Chip Kelly as a good OC and a guy that could help the Seahawks moving forward. Love it. He is Pac-12 Network's Nick Aliotti joining us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Thanks, Coach. Thanks, Coach. You're always welcome. I love doing it. You guys have a great day. And, uh, yeah, I'm like Pac-2 Networks now. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Coach. <laughs> All right. Adios. Yeah. <laughs> the 89th Annual Sports Star of the Year Awards are coming up February 15th. K.J. Wright is this year's host, and Seattle Sports will be there as well to celebrate the biggest sports stories and athletes of 2023. Find tickets and info at seattlesports.com slash events. Quickly, before we get to headline rewrites, I found the most fascinating part of what Aliotti was saying to be specifically what's changed the most, but mm-hmm. why he likes what the 49ers are doing with the fullback. Um you really liked that. Why did why did you like that part of the conversation? Yeah, because um, part of football is, like he said, is matchups, right? So you got your coaches upstairs. There are a few coaches or one, however many, that are constantly looking at the opposition sideline and saying, all right, look, they're coming out in 21 personnel. They're coming out in 10 personnel. So then the defense can kind of match that mm-hmm. personnel, right? If you come out in 10 personnel, you're probably going to come out in your base or a nickel. Um and whatnot. So what it does is it forces defensive coordinators to do what coach just said and say, look, all right, forget, especially against the 49ers, forget the personnel. Cause we know you can motion out line up in the slot. We know Christian McCaffrey, they can line up in uh 21 personnel and have an empty backfield. So now with, instead of looking at the personnel by itself, you're looking at, okay, it's second and, and eight. What do they like to do on second and eight? Instead, instead of saying, well, they got two running backs. They gotta be able to be, they gotta be running mm-hmm. the football, right? No, because, um, the, the 49ers have the type of athlete that can do both. That's why I asked them. I go, well, if teams are doing that, then there has to have been an evolution of the player. And I point at Christian McCaffrey, who's great out the backfield, and, and Alvin Kamara, who's great out the backfield as well. If you're a running back in this league, for the most part, you have to be able to motion out the backfield yeah. and get some matchups. That's why I'm so frustrated we didn't see Kenny McIntosh last year because I know he's capable of doing that. So it just makes it harder on the defense. I heard Nick Saban saying in a clip the other day, it's so hard now to to be on the defensive side of the ball, right? Yeah. To to put your guys in position to succeed. And part of it is because of what Coach just beautifully illustrated for us that it don't matter if you got two running backs back there, especially against the Niners. Don't do this commotion out and play receivers well, as well. Well, I'm thinking how difficult it's going to be for Spagnola, who's done a great job, obviously, for years with Kansas City, but especially this year with the second uh, best scoring defense in the mm-hmm. league. Um but, I mean, you think of those formations and what you're going to face, and it's like, okay, let's say you get check and Christian McCaffrey out there. They could go play action. Maybe they bump them up to the line, but you still have to honor what they're doing because they're great, so that opens up the middle of the field if a linebacker follows them. Like, it's just – it's a nightmare. Yeah, it is <laughs> like, a nightmare. It is a nightmare. It's tough, man. And that's why – also, I think that's why you're seeing um, coordinators play with more three-safety type guys out there and why you're asking more – 
of those outside linebackers. Like the outside in a 3-4 defense, those outside backers are one of the more versatile players on the field. I talk, I always highlight the tight ends on offense. On defense, I look at the outside backers and go, you got to rush the quarterback in a two-point, in a three-point. You got to drop into the flat. You have to uh, peel with the running back as mm-hmm. he gets out the backfield. Those guys got to be extremely dynamic. Yeah, and the 49ers are especially adept at targeting them. Mm-hmm. It's just it's going to be fascinating to watch. I think the Chiefs are going to lean heavily on their secondary as the strength of their team, too. Yep. Not including Chris Jones, obviously a strength of the team, but like – I don't know a ton about their linebackers. I got to be totally honest with you Mm -hmm. guys. Uh, We'll do a little bit more of a preview tomorrow. Right now, let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Headline number one: Ryan Grubb introduced himself as Alabama's offensive coordinator at a Crimson Tide signing day event on Wednesday. What's the real headline? The Seahawks have a chance to do the funniest thing ever. You know what you got to do. What you got to do? You got you got to hire <laughs> Ryan Grubb after he's already been introduced as OC in Bama. Honestly, that's how that's how the University of Washington gets back at uh, Kalen DeBoer for dipping on him. Yeah, you know, it's almost like Take that. You, you, you send your your little brother to, to fight the little boy who's talking too much because you're too old. You can't find him or vice versa. You send your big brother to fight the big dude because I, I can't find him. So what do you do? You do that. So uh, that would be interesting. I think Grubb is playing this the right way. You assume the position of offensive coordinator with Bama until you sign a contract. You show up to all the events that you're supposed to sign up to. You get those people to trust you, you know, and then they trust you and you rip their hearts out mm-hmm. and you go Heck over to, yeah. to Seattle as yeah. the offensive coordinator. So, uh, no, man, Grubb's in a position of, uh, of leverage and you use that leverage because people get mad at coaches and players for like holding out and playing this game. But people forget that the NCAA and the NFL will drop you it so quick yes, it's with no warning. It is business as cutthroat. So go ahead and do your thing. Also, bro. it's what anyone would do. The difference being that, um, you know, if someone listen, listening works at a, a company that makes uh, staples, I'm, I'm maybe not like a huge diehard fan of your company and my heart's not going to be ripped out, but you're, you would otherwise do the same thing where you're right. like, if another company's offering me more, I'm going to go there. Maybe I go to my boss and I say, hey, this company's offering me. Right. But it doesn't feel like betrayal because we're not like, know huge fans of staple companies I'm, I'm not speaking for everyone who knows you know what i mean i'm not i'm not here to dictate what you love and who you root for maybe you do headline rewrites headline number two the mariners signed outfielder kanan smith and jigba that's jackson's brother to their 40-man roster yesterday what's the real headline ron francis is now asking the smith and jigba family if they know anyone who can skate <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. They got a sister who can hoop. Right. And the storm just uh, just picked up soccer? a free agent. Um, yeah, man. I mean, this is just it's genetics, man, and it's real. Yeah, you got two brothers who are professionals at completely different sports, mm-hmm. different skill sets. Um, good for them, man. So, uh, you know, I, I interviewed Jason, and his brother was there with Paul Moyer on Hawks Live on Thursdays. And the relationship that they have, without words, you can tell it's extremely competitive. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's partly why these guys are where they are today. It's always wild to me when families have multiple pro athletes, Mm -hmm. like whether it's the Watt family. There's obviously been generations. We've The Bosa's. We've seen a million and five generations where it's like father, son. Mm -hmm. But to have multiple kids at once is wild. And in different sports, too. The only other set of brothers I can think of, and I'm sure the Mac and Jack's text line is immediately going to be, well, Curtis. Yeah. Is uh, Clay Thompson and Trace Thompson. Trace is an outfielder for the Dodgers. 
Clay, I don't know if you've heard, uh, he plays basketball. He's pretty good <laughs> at it. Uh, I think it's pretty remarkable that they went pro in, in different sports rather than just the same one. That is pretty crazy. Also, shout out to their parents for paying all those fees. For yeah, that's a lot sports. of travel ball. That's a lot of work. Headline rewrites. Headline number three, MLB.com's Daniel Kramer says there's a good chance top Mariners prospect Harry Ford could see some reps in the infield during spring training. What's the real headline? Sounds like then there's a good chance Harry Ford debuts sooner than expected. That's what we want to hear. We've been... Harry Ford has been a name. He's like a, an urban legend in the streets of Seattle, right? We've been hearing about this kid for so long. We saw him in the World Baseball Classic, have his couple moments over there. And we also heard that he can play multiple positions. With um with the backup that you have over there behind the plate with, with Cal and with Mitch, you got to find a spot for this young man to develop. That was the, the one question why I thought maybe you use him as trade bait because there's nowhere for him to grow. But I'm glad that they're using his athleticism and put him in different spots, man, because uh, if you get one of your prospects that aren't a pitcher to hit in the next couple years and everything else works out, I mean, these guys could be looking at us in 26, uh, 2026, 2017. I told you so. Trust the process. Yeah. Um, and you know what? If it came to that, I would not mind being wrong in this situation uh, because um, the M's need to win in, in, a, in the worst way. I am wondering if they'd be willing to keep him. Uh, at catcher and just kind of rotate him into certain things or if you guys think that they're looking for a permanent shift in order to make that transition not effortlessly it would be tough to switch to a new position because uh, he's you know exclusively played catcher um, but you don't have a log jam there no you find ways to get balls on the field and then we'll see what happens with Mitch right who knows how long you know he's going to be here how productive he is but um, finding a way to get young talent on the diamond is crucial Curtis, I just saw you respond to the 425 who said Hunter Renfro plays both. It's two different Hunter Renfros. <laughs> but I like the idea of a family being like, name all of them Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make it easy on ourselves. A couple people texting in uh, Chandler Jones and John Jones. Yeah. UFC. And then how could I forget the two from the 206, Marcus Tuiasosopo in the oh, NFL. Duh. And Matt Tuiasosopo who played for the Mariners. Yeah. Uh, all right, you guys, we're taking a look ahead and look around the NFL. Patrick Mahomes has a surprise for his Chiefs teammates, but it's only if they win the Super Bowl. That's coming up next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports Station. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Taking a look around the NFL, we are, of course, going to start at Radio Row at the Super Bowl when Patrick Mahomes has made a pricey promise to his teammates. So, as you guys know, the Super Bowl is in Vegas, and Mahomes sees this as what he calls a business trip. Duh, you're playing a Super Bowl. It's the most important game of the year. So, in a trade with teammates, he said, look, we're not going to party. We're not going to have fun. We're not going to do anything. But if we win this, I promise I will take the entire team back to Vegas where we can party. That's a Good pricey trip. It is pricey. But when you're getting paid $50 million on a football field and probably making another 10 to $15 million off the field, you should be okay. The NFL prohibits any of these guys for gambling while they're out there, too. They got to wait until Sunday night after the game before they can gamble, which I don't understand. If I want to roll the dice on the black, uh, on uh, the crap table, let me do that. I'm not betting right. on the NFL right. game. Like, what's going game. on? If I want to make poor decisions throughout the week and be out late, <laughs> then let me do that. I'm That's a grown bad. man. I'm 40. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a very cool kind of promise to make. I mean, uh, 
if they don't win, I'd probably still be there like, Pat, I I went to bed early. Like, <laughs> I, I did my part, but apparently Chiefs got to go back to Vegas. Please believe no matter what, Pat's going to have that small circle of friends on his team that he'll take back to Vegas regardless. Yes, absolutely. In an ESPN radio interview, Cowboys legend Emmett Smith said he was surprised that Mike McCarthy wasn't fired. To be honest, I am a little surprised, uh, all because of the way things ha- has transpired the last few years. Removing Kellen as the OC and taking over the controls of the offense and so forth, uh, I am a little surprised. The way our team acted out of the playoff, I'm real surprised because to me, I look to my leaders and leaders look to, to players to be ready and be prepared for the situations and all situations. And uh, unfortunately for us, I don't know if we were as prepared as we needed to be. And the way we exited the playoff this year was not, it, it was not a good look, put it that way. And, uh, and it was somewhat embarrassing. It, it lends you to believe that either uh, we're not trained or coached properly in, in terms of game type situations. At times, players do have to overcome coaching because coaches don't always make the best decision. It's not a good look. What do you think? Um, I was surprised and wasn't at the same time because I felt like whoever were to take over from Mike McCarthy had to be a clear upgrade. Say what you want about McCarthy. He has won a Super Bowl. He has gotten this team to 12 wins three seasons in a row. Something's happening in the playoffs. Who are you going to replace with him? You look at the guys who are available. Are you going to roll the dice on a dude who's never been a head coach before? Are you going to try to um, get Belichick to go over there and do his thing? To me, it was Belichick or nobody at that point because you have a product that seems to be ready to go. Like same thing people saying, get rid of Dak Prescott. For who? Who's going to pick up that contract? You have the talent. It's just about winning in those moments. So, I wasn't surprised that Mark McCarthy was there. Um, I was more surprised that uh, Bill Belichick didn't get hired elsewhere. Yes. I thought it was either the Cowboys or Atlanta when it came to Bill Belichick. That didn't happen. I understand why Mike McCarthy's still there. Yeah, I agree. I th- it's such an interesting situation because just on paper, you'd look at three trips to the playoffs, three, two or three 12-1 seasons. Three. Three 12-1 seasons. Um, you know, a top five offense, top five defense, like all these things on paper, you'd be like, what? You fired that guy? Are you insane? But Cowboys fans are livid because yeah. they feel like it's not paying off. It's such a it's such a fascinating situation. It's a weird place to be in. A really successful team with no success in the playoffs. Yeah. It's a weird place to be. All right. Next up is Mike Rabel going the college route. Wisconsin head coach Luke Fickle said he hopes to have the former Titans head coach around his program as much as possible during the 2024 season. Would you take that route if you were Mike Rabel? I would just coach, Mm. you know, unless you you feel like you need a year off. But um, I feel like Vrabel's the type of guy who wants to be around the game and be in the game. And right now there isn't a perfect fit in the NFL, obviously, because he is a former head coach um, and it's. The same reason why I was surprised that Leslie Frazier came on as an assistant head coach would be the same way I look at Vrabel. Guys who have had the success that he did have, mm-hmm. two times they've been to the playoffs with the, with the Titans. You've been to the conference championship game. You're looking for another opportunity um, to be a leader. So um, that wasn't going to happen in the NFL. So am I surprised that he would take the college route? No, not at all, because uh, that's like a supplemental income for this year or two while you figure it out and wait for another opportunity to be a head coach in the league. It's uh, worth noting, by the way, I didn't mention this, that Luke and Mike Vrabel are best friends. So Mm -hmm. that's why he wants them around a ton. He also jokingly added, 
uh, he's not afraid of uh, his his stature. friend's stature. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Yesterday, there was an article in The Athletic, or excuse me, a report from Diana Rossini that potentially some teams were intimidated by Mike Rabel's height and size. That's interesting. It's just very weird. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, the NFL PA says that 92% of players prefer natural grass playing surfaces over turf. Um, not at all surprising. I feel like we constantly hear from players, including Seahawks players, yeah. and we've talked to Quandre Diggs about this during the huddle, that uh, turf is not the preference for playing. In high school, you get turf on the fields because you got soccer teams, lacrosse teams. The maintenance is crazy. In the NFL, you should be able to maintain a field. I also think or know that a lot of the stadiums go with the turf because they have concerts or whatnot, and it's easier just to to throw a surface on top of that turf and have Taylor Swift sell out three nights in a row at your stadium. So um, there, there is some some reasoning behind that. But me personally, it's all about the grass. The best grass I ever played on, University of Auburn's uh, playing field was ridiculous. It's like a fairway in Palm Springs. Do you think that uh, this is something that's like legitimate uh, or that people just say because they don't have natural surfaces? Because when I think of natural surfaces, like a soldier field natural grass, and FedEx was too, right? Yeah. Like I feel like they mm-hmm. always got so much flack for those fields. Well, it's about main, main, maintaining. Like, yeah. can you keep it up or not? Right. True. Uh, all right. Next up, Travis Kelsey. Uh, this is from page six. Was joking about how much money he spent on a Super Bowl suite. He's not the only one. A story from earlier this week. I think last week. Uh, Christian McCaffrey's mom was joking that they didn't have enough money, nor did Christian McCaffrey, according to her, to afford a suite for the Super Bowl. Those things are crazy expensive. So Travis Kelsey said on his New Heights podcast uh, that he's um, just trying to spend money to make sure his friends and family can make it. Uh, He's got a net worth of $30 million, so maybe it's not going to be too hard for him. Uh, Christian McCaffrey seems to have plenty of money, but it doesn't sound like he and Olivia are going to do that. Man, unless you are just a billionaire or you have a bunch of millionaire friends and y'all can go in on a suite or your company pays for the suite, your best bet just might to throw a, a cracking party at the house and have the family come over, man. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a great way to, uh, it's a good viewing experience. I just wouldn't spend, even as a celebrity, because obviously I couldn't afford a multi-million dollar suite anyway. If I was worth $30 million, I wouldn't want to spend a multi-million dollar suite because I'm nah. thinking of like, Okay, and in the real world, if you're someone with a normal job, would you spend a couple thousand on something? No, mm. not unless it was a car, a house. I spent like a couple thousand on Drake concert tickets and it hurt me. Right, and you're thinking bad, like, like oh, oh God, what did I do? Gracious. But like you and I were looking up ticket prices, um, and there were seats at the Super Bowl going for thirty-seven thousand dollars. Who does that? <laughs> Who can afford to do that? Oh man! And what if it's a bad game? That's such a waste of money. But I mean. I think we all know the Super Bowl is mostly a corporate event yeah, anyways. It is. And it is. the only people in those suites are going to be celebrities. We're going to see. Yep. I don't think Beyonce's going. She's got better things to do, but it's mostly going to be celebrities. Um, coming up in uh, about five minutes, I have a challenge for us. And I don't know that we can do it. And I know I'm not setting. I can do. My mom said I can do anything if I set my mind to it. And I believe that. Right. I so, so, so believe that. I just like, this is really a challenge. And the second I introduce it, I already know listeners are going to go, good luck. Good luck convincing me of that one. But I also think it's a really fascinating way Mm -hmm. to look at the hire of Mike McDonald. I'll explain it all in just a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere. 
Bump and Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. How the heck did Mike McDonald stifle Kyle Shanahan's offense? And uh, what could we see from Shanahan's offense against the Chiefs coming up this Sunday? We're going to ask the Athletics' Ted Wynn coming up in 15 minutes. Before we get to it, I have a challenge for us. This is the challenge. I'm jumping right into it. Can you make the case for keeping Jamal Adams because he can thrive in a Mike McDonald defense? Beg pardon? I am telling you, we have spent the better part of the offseason so far talking about the Seahawks' important roster decisions, and both Bump and I have settled on, yeah, you probably got to move on from Adams. It hasn't worked out. His his salary cap hit is so expensive. Brady Henderson joined us saying he doesn't really see a world where Jamal Adams is on the roster in his current contract. And yet, what has changed since then is you have this defensive mastermind and someone who has the potential to be a first-team All-Pro defensive player. Bump, that is our challenge. And by us, I mean you. <laughs> You're going to make me the DA. No, no, no. I'll, the I'll, district I'll, attorney. I'll try to help out uh, and, and egg us on when possible. But um, I think you have a better way to, to get us started with it. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I'm uh, I'm the public defender right now, pretty kind much, of? right? I yeah. just take on any case and, and say, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, you didn't choose Jamal Adams. Like, hey. I chose for you. you give me your your uh your case files and it's, i go okay here we go it's like a debate club where it's like your topic make the case for jamal adams staying here because he can thrive and that's what i'm gonna do you okay. guys ready yes. all right um jamal adams the last two seasons he's only played in 10 games zero sacks in those 10 games seven tackles for loss in those 10 games and three quarterback hits now i like to remember jamal the way i like to remember him mm-hmm. 2021, lots of sacks, making plays in the box, doing his thing. The highest paid safety in the game for a reason. And then things start to happen. My man gets banged up, gets hurt, can't get healthy. And then people start to point out his flaws. It's crazy how once you um <clears throat> you you lose your health a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. You get banged up. Uh, all your flaws are just amplified because now people are looking yep. for reason to get rid of you. I'm not saying you guys are wrong. I'm just saying that um, that's what's happened with this guy. But the reason why he can still find a way to if you if you switch up the contract and, he, and you find a way to get him on the field, I think who he is at his best is perfect for what Mike McDonald wants to do. You look at the safety play in the Baltimore Ravens defense last year. You got Hamilton who played 80 percent of the snaps, strong safety. Geno Stone, another safety, 82% of the snaps. Then you have Brandon Stevens, another safety, 93% of the snaps. And then you have Marcus Williams, free safety, 54% of the snaps. You got 80, 82, and 93. He's going to play with three safeties out there. That's what's going to happen. Now, you look at his roster, you got Julian Love, you got Quandre, and you have Kobe Bryant over there as well who can't play the safety spot. Then you have Jamal. Theoretically, you need four safeties on this roster just off the snap counts alone that we saw between Hamilton, Stone, Stevens, and Williams when we look at the Ravens' defense. Can Jamal do the things that I've seen Hamilton do? Hamilton last year is a guy that when you do have your three safeties in, he's going to roll down to the box. He's going to be a force in the run game, and he's going to cover tight ends. Now, last year he gave up one touchdown to a tight end, and it was in the AFC Championship game to Travis Kelsey. That's not what Jamal Adams does. He's not a guy who's going to cover the tight end and take him out the game, but he is a guy who can roll down in the box. So I'm just looking at the way they rotate their safeties, the way they match it with defenses, 
a healthy Jamal Adams can definitely be useful in this defense. The question is, is he going to be healthy? Right. How much is he going to weigh? My man was a little thicker this year. What, what's the relationship going to be like? I understand it. I understand it. Um, and I understand why people wouldn't want him here. I get it. But we're just saying, if we're looking at the way that Mike McDonald calls a defense and the way he uses, uses his personnel, a healthy Jamal would be worth a look. But I think with the money that he is owed and the way that he's played over the past few years, it's tough for me to see him in that uniform. I know. You still met the challenge, though. And I am an agent of chaos. And uh, there is a reason. I'm seeing lots of people go, oh, he's too slow. He can't catch a ball. He's injury prone. Here's the deal. If I said make a case for Kyle Hamilton in a Mike McDonald defense, there's zero challenge with that. Yeah. He is a pro bowler in a Mike McDonald defense. He looks amazing in a Mike McDonald defense. The challenge is, well, what do you do about this guy that can't stay healthy, can't stay on the field, has seen kind of a drop-off in play, isn't doing what you brought him here to do, but also at one point did, right? And that's the the temptation that John Schneider is going to be looking at because for all of us with with no money in the game, it's like, move on, cut him. Like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not working out. For John Schneider, there's a little bit of pride. I gave up two first-round picks, and I made this guy at one point the top-paid safety in the game. I brought in this guy who's a defensive mastermind. Do I hang on to him or not? Maybe that relationship's already broken and it's too far gone, but I thought it would be an interesting challenge to look at it and say, this person that we'd all mostly written off, is there somewhere a case to be made for keeping him? And that was the challenge. I mean, there's a case to be made when you look at schematics, and there's also a case to be made when you look at how much he is owed and what you would have to uh, to give up or still pay if you were to cut him. Uh, that's the thing, too, man. You got to get to your accountant, right? Mm-hmm. $20 million in dead cap um, is what he is accounting for. So I think the easy answer is to be cut him, move on, yeah. fresh start. Let's see what Kobe can do. Maybe draft the safety and see how it goes down. But you're not taking in, into consideration the financials of this whole deal. Right now, if you keep him through 2024 and then in 2025, you want to get rid of him. Guess what? $10 million in debt cap. So it's worth if you're if you're if you're balancing the budget, you might just want to say, look, we'll keep him this year. See if he can improve. He's had a full more than an offseason to to get healthy and do his thing. And if it doesn't work out, we can cut him and, and have only 10 million in debt cap. The salary cap angle is honestly just as convincing as is saying you need more safeties. Um, yeah, there's just this kind of idea of like, um, if Mike McDonald was able to come up with the best scoring defense in football with, yeah, some, you know, pro bowlers, but a lot of guys who were young or in a, in a, in a third or fourth stint somewhere, um, you know, not huge names. Like I think Justin Matabuike mm-hmm. was their leading sack getter. Yep. Uh, uh, Jadevian Clowney had a monster year with them. Like, Getting the most out of people that some people either don't expect or have given up on. That temptation's there. How how genius would Mike McDonald look if he were to tap into Jamal again and, and have him play lights out and use him the way we think he is supposed to be used? Right. I was so tired of seeing a too high defense with Jamal dropping and being responsible for a deep half or a quarter of the field. It's not him. That's not what he does, right? I don't even care if you're predictable, right? And you know Jamal's in the game. And you know he ain't going to cover nobody. He's just going after the quarterback. So what? Make him do that. The key is health. 
And it could be um, it could be a blessing in disguise with Jamal not playing the last, what, four games mm-hmm. of the season or whatnot because that gives him time to really heal. He was so determined to get back on the football field. His offseason was on point, and he was good enough to go out there and, and play a role. But when I'm watching the game with, with all these other football minds, we're looking at him move and we're saying he ain't there. He he can't accelerate. He yep. can't decelerate. Yep. He doesn't have the lateral movement. Y- your bone was pretty much, excuse me, your muscle was detached from a bone on your body. Oof. Like that's, that's tough to come back from. So it's on Mike McDonald. How much value is placed on Jamal? And now to the accountant of the Seattle Seahawks, does that make sense financially to let him go? All right. How did Mike McDonald's defense, which we've been talking about for 10 minutes, stifle Shanahan's offense? I'd love to learn a bit more of that from someone who knows X's and O's well. The Athletics' Ted Wynn joins us next.